I'm Noel. I'm the editor of Enduro.media, and welcome to episode two of the Enduro Bureau podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here with my co-host, uh, Jared Stock, Courtney Schmally. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Good evening. Interesting fact, Courtney just got back from kicking someone in the face. Well, it was uh, a few kicks to my face, too, so. <laughs> and it wasn't me. It wasn't courtship. No. 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 Very good. Um, <laughs> excellent. So we're just going to get ripping here this time out. Uh, we've got a really cool guest and I'm excited to have her on. She is a bit of a Canadian moto and enduro legend. I think it's fair to say. Um, <clears throat> Calgary local former uh team canada isde member former enduro cross champion x games participant uh canadian moto champion of various things i'm sure i kind of don't have it all in front of me right now uh jared do you want to do the actual introduction i think that pretty much covered it uh just a an all-around good great athlete in uh motocross and enduro and and someone to look up to for lots of females and, and, and males coming into the sport. So we're excited to have Lexi Pichot on the show. Yes, I second that. Thanks so much, you guys. <laughs> what an intro. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. You're a, you are a legit badass. Oh, That's you what guys I are meant too good. To say. That's the words I was looking for. Legit. <laughs> badass. I just, I just like to ride bikes. Yeah, Does well, you've been badass. No, ha. <laughs> you've got you've got further to go, man. Come on, I'm not going to give you that easy. That's right. I'll work harder. Yeah, do better. Um. Well, hey, welcome, Lexi. It's really good to have you on, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you here. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. I love uh, I love that we have another uh, platform for podcasts, and I'm excited to see the guests that you guys have on in the future and the topics you guys discuss too. Well, just speaking of podcasts, let's uh, let's quickly pause to pitch your cast. Why don't you tell us about what you've got going on? <laughs> uh, so this fall, me and my two best friends, Jessica Longname and uh, Tanika White, decided to start a podcast. Um, and we kind of just started it out of having some fun. And I mean, we're always going on adventures and having a good time riding bikes. And the two-wheeled community is so good. So we just thought we would use it as a platform to share some of our stories and hopefully inspire a few people along the way. And, um, yeah, we just dropped our 10th episode here today and we're, yeah. we're still carrying on. So it's, it's been a lot of fun and I've been really enjoying it. That's awesome. Cause you guys, like when I see you around, you're definitely never having fun. Oh, definitely not yeah. ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, never, uh, never smiling, never laughing, never just having a hoot. Um, so, Hey, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not even really joking at all when I say you're a legit badass. I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. Uh, when you dig into, you know, the interwebs, I mean, you've been, you know, I was reading a story uh, earlier today that your dad put you on a bike when you were two. Yeah. I mean, I guess that started, I was basically born on two wheels. My dad moved yeah. here from Germany to, to ride bikes and, um, my, my parents met at a motorcycle event. My, they got engaged at a motorcycle event. Um, and it kind of all went downhill from there. So 
I started riding a PW50 when I was two. And long story short, my parents had a motorcycle club that's still running to this day. They don't run it anymore, but um, it's called the Second Gear Club. And I basically went to every event they hosted from the time I was on the PW50 to to current day. So it's it's been a lot of fun and given me a lot of opportunities to ride a lot of different disciplines. And I think a lot of that goes towards the rider that I am today, just being able to try different things. I think that's something that we talk about a lot is the importance of diversity in complete athletes and especially in moto and just, you know, I think Jared's a good example of it, Courtney, and you, you're a great example of it. Rachel Goodish was on last week. She's a great example, but you know, how riding a variety of disciplines just makes you fast. It doesn't make you, it doesn't hurt you in any other discipline. And you know, I look at your speed on a motocross track versus your speed on a trail or on a hard enduro course, and it's all fast. <laughs> Thanks so much. I think a lot of those skills, they transfer back and forth and our, our sport keeps changing and developing. And I think a lot of those skills you need to have go back and forth. And what's better than to put knowledge in your toolbox and, and all those experiences that you have trying different races. So when you come up to something new, it's it doesn't feel like a big scary thing because you've put yourself in those situations before. What do you think Lexi is uh, the best transition off-road to moto or moto to off-road? What's more advantageous? Ooh, good question. Ooh. I remember, I remember back in the day when I was in Calgary and you were starting to race the, the pro nationals for the women's and uh, we had some jumping techniques to learn. <laughs> that, was, that was our big focus. I think I'm still learning how to jump. I shit my pants every time I come up to the face of a jump, to be honest with you, but we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting more comfortable. You'd think I'd have it figured out by now, but uh, definitely still a, definitely still a weak point for me. But I mean, from my experience, going from off-road to moto was easier. Um, the first time I raced the moto nationals, um, and even still, there's some obstacles that I don't make it over, but I think it's easier where, I mean, they always say like, corner for dough and jump for show or whatever that stupid saying is but yeah. <laughs> you your, your ground speed is so important being able to navigate the track being able to get over the obstacles whether it's a log or or a jump um and and i think that is easier where when you go from moto to off-road it's a, there's a lot going on that you're not used to i mean the trees are tighter there's different obstacles than what you might have ever seen before so I think I think that transition is a lot easier going off road to moto for sure. Um, this is a good point. A good point, I think, in time for me to do a quick uh, segue. Uh, before you came on, I was saying to Jared and Courtney that I had a little quote that I thought was great. Uh, this goes back to an article from 2015, Lexi, that you were in. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, the question was what Canadian pro do you look up to and why? And your answer is this, and I'm going to just change it up here a little bit, but this one is hard. There's so many, I would say this person, not only do they shred the moto track, but they also translate their motocross skills to off-road. And when they aren't racing, they're doing something to give back to the racing community, like lap scoring or giving riding tips to people at the track. Uh, do you remember who you were talking about? Probably Jared Stock. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You oh. were. <laughs> a 20 a 2015 article uh so good and you know what i don't think that that hasn't changed much i mean i think that stuff is so cool um 
the 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 motorcycle community goes so beyond just showing up and and racing and coming home with a piece of plastic it's it's who you are it's it's the inspiring the people around you and and encouraging those people to get out and ride and go try something new and if racing is what what is our common denominator that gets us out and gets us to an event that's great but what you do beyond that um it it really makes a difference in the motorcycle community for sure and i mean Jared, I mean, look at him now. What are we? Eight years later, and he's putting on, putting on his own series, right? So that's super cool to see, and and doing an excellent job at it. And I'm just really excited to see how much that's going to grow too. Well, I'm impressed sure. you can do that math. I couldn't do that math in my it's head. It's probably wrong. <laughs> Is it wrong? No, probably. I don't know. I won't question it. But 2015, what what were what was going on in 2015? Trying to think, was that just well, before you started off road? Oh yeah, I was, well no, I was off road in 2013. It's my first year. I think so. We were 20... we. Sorry. We... No, I was just gonna say. Well, in 2014, you were the uh, the enduro cross champion. Yeah, and I remember us training a bunch because we went to six days together in Italy. Yeah, that's and then right. I remember training at Blackfoot together. And then we yep. did a bunch of kids and like, I guess not just kids too, for everyone, riding schools that's we right. were doing we were... together for raising funds for, I think that started as raising funds for six days, but kind of just evolved and something that we loved. Right. I totally forgot about that. That was some good stuff back then. Right. Yeah. It feels like yesterday and forever ago at the same time. <laughs> I've had probably two solid concussions since then, so checks out <laughs> this is moto yeah <laughs> oh man that's awesome um wow so and i guess before we kind of get going in another direction you know you brought up community and you've spoken about community already why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh community building that you know you're such a big part of here in calgary with surfing berms i mean all of that i have to give hats off to danica she's the mastermind and the one that makes everything happen i'm just along to help out and slap high fives and, and help where I can. But what she's done to create a place where people, I mean, women especially is who, who it's geared towards. Um, for people that don't know, Surf and Berms is a, um, well, it became a small business this year. It got registered as small business, so no longer a not-for-profit. But um, we try to have these community builder events once a month at the track. Um, actually, this month, because it's obviously the track is closed, we did one at Beeline, which is an indoor bike park. So we always just try to have events once a month to get people together. Um, typically, it's at the Wild Rose Track here in Calgary. So we, we get to reserve one of the tracks um, just for women. So it's a very safe, very controlled environment where... Um, the track is groomed so that it's pretty much flat. So anyone can get on there, no matter what size your bike is. We even have people that show up on fifties and, um, even some dual sports and people ride to the track, which is really cool and, and everything in between. So, um, just creating a place where like-minded women can come together, um, maybe try the track for the first time, maybe meet some new people to go riding with. And it's been really cool to see some of the friendships that have come from it. And uh, worst case, you show up, you have some snacks, you slap some the high fives, and you go home. So it's it's been a lot of fun to see. Um, our last one in September had just, I think, 80 girls that showed up to it. So it's it's pretty cool to see that there's that many women on bikes. I mean, when I was growing up, there definitely wasn't that much of a, 
uh, like there, there just wasn't that many women. It didn't seem like riding for sure, or I just didn't know where they were. So why don't you tell us a little bit about how you kind of progressed from being at the club with your club events with your parents. And I mean, it's pretty easy to see how the transition to racing happened, but tell us a little bit more about that and how you sort of moved to be both moto or motocross and off-road. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, I guess the, 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 the second gear club hosted races, mainly their focus was off-road races. So hair scrambles and cross countries. Um, my dad was always someone that just encouraged me to try things new all the time. Um, as time went on and I got older, the club advanced too. So there was, um, at one point, I don't know, they had hair scrambles, cross countries, trials, ice racing, um, basically you name it on two wheels. They probably were involved in some, some way. Um, so it was really cool to just try different stuff like that. Um, as I became older, I just had more interest in it and it was pretty much the only thing I wanted to do. I mean, I'm not coordinated even still to this day to do anything off of two wheels. So basketball, volleyball, all those team sports just didn't work out for me. And I kind of always just felt like an outlier. So for me, my my family and, and my friends that felt like family were all involved uh, riding two wheels. And all I wanted to do was go camping on the weekend and race bikes. So not much has changed from then till now. <laughs> I still feel about the same way. Um, but I just always love challenging myself. I think that's what I do love a lot about this sport is that you're never, you can never settle. There's always something new to learn, someone new to ride with, some somewhere new to ride. Um, and I think that's kind of where a lot of that transition happened. Um, after I went to six days in Italy, I realized how, um, how important like ground speed was. And a lot of, a lot of the tests there were um, like big grass track. And even now, I mean, Jared and Courtney can probably speak to this more. You guys have been there more recently, but it's almost like it's going to more of like a GNCC more moto. Your moto skills are just as important as your off-road skills. Um, when I, when I first went to six days, not knowing, I was like, oh, we're going to be riding like 200 kilometers a day of just single track. And that wasn't so much the case when we went. So I think, again, just coming back, being a very diverse rider and riding different disciplines is so important. So when you go to an event like that where you're riding so much different to train in such a short period of time, you need to be ready for what those obstacles are that you're going to come to. Um, so, I mean, even even like we just talked about a little bit, back riding with Jared at the track, him riding more moto and being able to pick his brain on those kinds of things and riding some off-road and going back and forth and that's what's really cool too is a lot of my upbringing has been from just sharing our skills and our knowledge with other people within the community and and being able to kind of feed off of each other and you're you're in the parking lot one day and you're just chatting and the next thing you know oh hey try this and and having those other people encourage you to give it a shot even though hey there's lots of times where I mean I didn't get it on the first shot but having someone there to encourage you to at least give it a shot um is 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 really cool um but yeah so moto i took on a little bit more in, in the last i guess 2016 was the first year um i waste the women's west coast nationals and a lot of those skills go off-road too um being being comfortable in the air i mean i say that <laughs> i say that lightly <laughs> but it, it also changes your viewpoints on 
hey, I'm coming up to a log. I'm going to jump this log or I'm going to jump this section or, or like it's kind of hard to explain, but there's a lot of instances where your moto skills also translate off road um, and can help you can help you both ways. Well, I guess, especially in something like enduro cross, right. And, you know, with the ability, you know, coming from the motocross track and being able to like double or triple stuff that probably comes into play there. Absolutely. And I think that's even changed too. Like you watch from, I haven't been to an enduro cross in years, but just watching it on TV back when I was going in 20, like 2012 to 2015, kind of everyone was struggling and and just kind of getting through it. And now it's like, it's damn near arena cross. Everyone's jumping the, the obstacles yeah. and yeah. Your, your wheels aren't even hitting their rocks that are in the middle. Cause you're just jumping the whole thing. So it's, it's kind so of interesting sendy. to see the sport change. Yeah. It's, that, it's so sandy like now. If I, if my tires don't have to touch anything <laughs> sharp and edgy. It's cheaper to replace parts. Yeah. Yeah. You actually, Lexi, you went and did uh super enduro at least once, didn't you? Yes. I went to super enduro 2015, um, in Germany. What was that like? Oh, yeah. yeah, that was, that was a really crazy experience. I mean, just traveling on traveling to any international race is always, um, is always really cool. Moto is also sometimes a very loose program. <laughs> so looking back, I mean, you're, you're rolling into a foreign country. Thankfully, my dad spoke German, so that took out that barrier. But you're showing up on a bike where you've never ridden it before. You're literally showing up with a race. And the time you get riding on it is like the five laps of practice you get before the race. Um, <laughs> at that time, too, like just looking back from what we do now, to what we did then was just like we're riding completely stock bikes basically moving the levers and just hoping for the best now now knowing how important like bike setup is and those kinds of things um i often wonder what that experience would have been like knowing that back then but um it was great i mean it's always really cool to just go race with different racers um i didn't do very well at that event but we had a great time and um yeah maybe one day we'll get back there What's your, uh, I guess we're going to talk about international racing internationally coming up here in a little bit, but what is your favorite international event you've ever been to? Oh man. Um, I would probably have to say the, um, Hidaka two day enduro, which I've been to, I this is, this was four times here in September. Um, it's a two day enduro. It's the same format as six days. Um, but it's only two days instead of six. And it's in um, the Northern Island of Japan, which is Hokkaido. Um, and it's just beautiful. The people are wonderful. Um, everything about the event and just the terrain there is is unbelievable. So right now, I would probably have to say that's my favorite international event. <laughs> right on. How much uh, Japanese have you picked up in the travels? You know, I was working really hard at it after the second time I went. And um, I actually did my opening ceremony speech in Japanese. And I'm sure well, I butchered uh, it, which is whoa. fine. <laughs> but we're getting there. And I have uh, actually have someone, uh, a Japanese woman living in my house right now with me. So uh, maybe one day I'll be, I'll have some more Japanese uh, language skills. But right now it's not so good. <laughs> it's like you, you and Taylor Swift, like on stage talking in Japanese. There we go. Yeah. You are you're the Moto T Swift. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's a title. <laughs> 
Hey guys, Courtney here with SOR Enduro Racing. Get in on all the action at our SOR race events this season as we bring new opportunities for racers and businesses who are looking to expand in promoting their brands. Pit row packages are front row and in the action with quick, easy access to the starting gates. Ensure that your business and your sponsored racers have the necessary, well-organized and professional setup where your brand will be in the eyes of all spectators and racers. Might you have your own personal, friends or family race team, this can also be an opportunity for you. Limited spots are available, so contact us for more information and reserve your pit row spot today. And now, back to the show. Um, well, look, well, why don't we? I mean, since you're talking about that race, I mean, one of the things that was really interesting to me and that I've wanted to talk to you about, and you know this for a long time, is, you know, you had a pretty crazy couple months last season in 2023 where you were, uh, you know, you started off your season racing the uh, Western swing of the Canadian triple crown series and the, the WMX. And then, uh, and then you transitioned from that to enduro mode. And from August to September, you raced, uh, Jared and Courtney's sprint series. Then you went to Red Bull outliers for a pretty insane hard enduro experience or FIM hard enduro experience. Then you went to Japan and then the weekend after Japan, you were back in Canada in Ontario for the Corduroy Enduro. Yeah. And that's a pretty <laughs> epic sequence of events. And then on top of that, you did it with a destroyed knee. Yeah. Looking back, I'm probably not the smartest person, but, um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> life's too short not to do those things. And uh, I'm always up for a good story and. And anyways, so yeah, so starting with Jared and Courtney's sore event, um, it was at the Raymond track. I just had, I didn't even fall off the bike. It was so dumb. Um, there was like a little, I don't even know if you'd call it a jump or a step up or I don't know what it was, but basically I went off the lip and my foot came off the peg. And when I landed, my foot hit the ground and kind of like went back. Um, and right there, I was like, oh, no. And I tried to, like, get up off the bike, and it just wasn't happening. So um, ended up completely destroying my knee, but not really knowing at that time. And the Canadian healthcare system is wild and just trying to get, like, results and answers and trying to figure out what was going on. It was, like, almost a month. It was almost a month yeah, no, I was, you know, it's crazy. So, so I heard it. I went to the doctor, went, they would give me x-rays by the time I went to go see a specialist. I paid for an MRI and wow. I was in Japan when I got the phone call with the diagnosis of my knee. So it was, <laughs> so, it was ridiculous. So the Japan, Japan was about a month after that race, right? Um, yes. Yeah. So Jared and Courtney's race was, I think the first weekend of August. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe the second weekend of August. Um, Raymond, so yeah, about second weekend of August. All I remember it was hot. As yeah, well. it was after. It was, it was after so Walton. Hot. I, I think it was after Walton week, maybe. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I can't remember something like that. Uh, something like but that, was, or maybe the week before. <laughs> I was so bummed because I was having the best time ever at that race. 
and uh everything was just laid out so fun and the like yeah everything was just perfect i was having a great time battling and the weather was great it was dusty you you were flying that day you were in it was funny because i just did like a little like talking head thing before that before you started that test saying that after i think that was maybe the fourth test of the day or something fourth or fifth test of the day yeah and you were in third overall at that point yeah i was uh (laughs) there was a lot of trash talk happening on the line it was great (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's probably one of the best parts of the sprint series is the trash talk and you know what lexi's involved in most of it so (laughs) i would have to agree it was I remember so good. now, like Mike Roberts did not like you beating his time. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Yugi and Mike were yeah. going at it with with Lexi with your innocent face and it's so funny. <laughs> and then I saw I saw Guy Giroux at the bike show like two weeks ago, and he's still he's still giving me a hard time. So I I love all that. this. So good, so good. We'll have so, to yeah, get was... him back out just so you can put another flavor in his hand for it oh yeah oh yeah um but yeah no it was it was awesome so you know so you did your knee i remember talking to you like in between tests coming to see you and you're kind of stretched out in the van you were like oh no no it's gonna be fine and you know we'd been talking about japan earlier that morning and you know how it was like about a month out from then and i was like oh well you know she doesn't look you know you looked pretty calm and collected and I was like well maybe it's okay and she's just being cautious because same thing like I looked over and I saw you'd stopped and you know through my the long lens of my camera I didn't see that you were like covered in dirt or anything like that and I was like oh weird maybe a bike problem like I don't know like what's going on but as it turns out yeah so your knee was pretty torn up but you know you say you found out in Japan but in between Japan and that round of the sprint enduro series was this little, you know, just this little thing called Red Bull Outliers. Yeah. So no, bi- no like, big deal. I'm I'm horrible because I guess I have I've been pretty lucky to not really have any major injuries in my life. And anyone who knows me knows I can't sit still. So for me to like be injured and be like on crutches, slowing down, can hardly walk was very difficult and i was just like oh it's gonna be fine i'm just gonna walk it off it'll just shake out it's just gonna be swollen for a couple days i just tweaked it it's gonna be fine turns out turns out it i did do those things but it was just a little bit more serious than i thought it was at first um so yeah so i had all these plans um i've been involved with um like always seem to somehow be involved in some kind of way with uh, Red Bull Rocks and Longs before it was Red Bull Outliers and now what is now Red Bull Outliers um, and have built kind of a cool relationship with um, with the team at Red Bull. So this year was going to be special because we had um, an activation. Danica and I lined up with Red Bull um, through Shane to teach a bunch of women how to ride bikes that had never ridden bikes or been on bikes before up at the track. Um, and then we had some other, some other stuff planned for the event. And then obviously Red Bull Outliers, no one wants to miss that. It's such a cool event. The year before I got third in the amateur class and really just wanted to kind of come back and fight for that again and, and just ride in a location that we don't get to ride ever, right? Both downtown and in the Badlands. It's, it's nothing like anywhere else to ride. Just, just to clarify when you say you were third in amateur, you weren't third 
in women's amateur, you were third in amateur overall. Yeah, you betcha. Yeah. They didn't have a Hell women's yeah. class. Um, Hell yeah. They still don't have a women's class, but yeah, it was great. Um, so yeah, I really wanted to be a part of that. Um, and once I had my knee in a knee brace, honestly, it felt pretty good. It's just those movements where you're not expecting it, right? Like when you're walking down the stairs, you kind of know what that movement is going to be. But when you're riding and your bike just kicks the wrong way, or I mean, the first day riding downtown, I that yeah. was probably the hardest race I've ever done in my life. No um, doubt. So, so I'm just going to jump in and say like watching you on that day, knowing like the pain you were in and I, you know, had a little sidebar conversation with your mom who, you know, is your biggest champion <laughs> and <laughs> she's amazing, but watching you ride that course and especially the tire alley, like, you know, if people haven't watched any of the, uh, the playback of the, of Red Bull outliers in the prologue day in downtown Calgary, it's amazing. That tire alley took out some of the best riders in the world. Like Billy Bolt went down in there. I know Tristan went down in there, you know, multiple times and knowing how your knee was doing and then seeing you come off and having to plant it into the tires was just like, I was cringing every time. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely not, it was not good. So basically what they had was like concrete Jersey barriers and then they'd have like a row of tires in front of it and then another barrier and then another row of tires. So as soon as you lost your momentum, it was really hard to get going again. And, um, sometimes they would just come up. You either hit the Jersey or barrier the wrong with the bike or you lose a little bit of momentum and you fall into the hole of the tire. And, um, yeah, the one time I, I just stopped myself dead and kind of like fell off the bike, but didn't fall myself. I like ran out, ran it out. If you know what I mean? Yeah. And my knee just did not, was not ready for that movement. <laughs> I could barely walk, let alone, let alone run. So just that, that movement was not good. And then I had a couple other falls where there was like a wall and I fell down the wall. And, um, just, there was just carnage everywhere. I felt like I was on the ground more than I was riding. Um, but I really wanted to get myself into a position where I could start. Um, cause that's the whole point of the first day is to, to get a good start for day two. And, um, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to, just wanted to make it to the main event at the end of the day. I didn't care if I got last when I got there. I just wanted to make sure I had a first row start for day two. And that's what I made happen. But yeah, I was in, I was in a lot of pain and probably looking back should not have done that and just, just rode day two <laughs> wherever I ended up. Um, but yeah, we made it happen. There were some tears, but we made it happen. <laughs> I mean, incredible. And then to come back after taking that beating and to head out into the Badlands. And again, Badlands is, is hardcore. You know, it's hard, it's hard to describe to people who haven't been there. Like, you know, the, the features that Shane Cuthbertson, the race director from Calgary here, who puts into the course are steep, they're rugged and the dirt out there is not the grippiest. Yeah, I mean, um, it's the 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 terrain is not what the problem is. The I mean, there are some unbelievable lines that get cut up there, uh, but the hard people is the problem, right? So, on the uh, for the amateur races, you're racing with the vet class and with the amateur class. So I think there was like, I'm probably wrong, but not far off, like around 300 riders that were on the course at the same time. 
Um, the start ended up getting a little bit messed up and everyone ended up going like essentially within like 20 seconds of each other. So when you're that many riders into a single track, into a bunch of gnarly hill climbs, bottlenecks form, people also get in this like race brain where you see nothing, but like you have to be moving, you have to be going. And sometimes you forget about everything else that's around you. So there was a lot of carnage that happened. There was a lot of bikes getting thrown around. There was a lot of like, everyone just wanted to make it to the top of the hill and people were ghosting their bikes and not helping each other. And we sat at the bottom of the hill for a really long time. So that was unfortunate. But it, when, you, when you're walking around, even like the day before, checking out all the lines and everything, you're like, man, I don't even think I can walk up some of this stuff. And and these guys are getting up on their bikes. So that's it's, it's, it's incredibly impressive. And I mean, you see it on TV, but I mean, video never does justice until you're like actually standing there seeing what these riders are going up. It's mind blowing. Yeah. It's when people uh, ask why I don't race the hard enduro and particularly the outliers, it's like 45 minutes from my house. And my first answer used to be Jersey Barrier. That's my first reason. <laughs> and then I watched the event, and now my reason is ghost bikes. That would be the second reason. I've seen some crazy ghost riding action going on, and I was like, well, I don't think I want to be the, uh, the recipient of one of those. <laughs> totally. Totally. And you know what? I was just thankful. Like, this year, there was no rain um, or anything oh. like that. Like, the, the train there is so... I don't even know how to explain it. Like there you have really like for the most part, you have really good traction when it's dry. But as soon as moisture mm. gets into that dirt, you can't even walk. No, yeah. it's exactly like it's slicker than snot. It really is when it's wet. And it's like you say, like, you just can't describe like you literally can't walk. It's like goose poo. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Can't it's like it's like poo. Yeah. <laughs> um. So. You know, you got through the day, obviously. Um, again, like I witnessed you, you know, at the top of some steep stuff, working the bike and working that leg really hard. How did you feel at the end? Uh, you know what? I felt I felt terrible. Like physically <laughs> felt terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, ice bath was definitely my friend after that. But it was more for me kind of changing my outlook on why I did it and for me it was like proving to myself that I could do hard things just pushing through that pain not quitting on myself like at any point in time I could have just been like oh this is dumb and stopped but I wanted to finish and push myself to finish regardless of if I got dead last or not um and the feedback that I got from a lot of people um people that I knew and people that I didn't know from day one being downtown. Um, it's just like, it's kind of silly as it is, but just, just kind of showing up for myself and just proving to other people that they can do it too. Um, and hopefully maybe inspiring some other women to show up in, in years to come. There's a lot of new racers that are there. Maybe they won't show up next year, but the women in sport is growing. And I think there's a lot of racers locally that can do it. And sometimes you just need a little bit of a push to go. So hopefully we see some more women racers in the future and outliers can continue to grow. That was a gutsy damn ride that day. I will say that. 
yeah, there was there was a few moments where <laughs> I remember looking at Kale in the stands and just shaking my head like I'm done. <laughs> and he points his finger and he's like, "Go." Exactly. Yeah, yeah I should have. So, for the explain what Kale does. Uh, Kale is a he's a well all round badass when it comes to working on motorcycles. Um, yep. but yeah, he's a, he's a motorcycle mechanic. Um, uh, right now he's working for direct suspension and specializing on the suspension side of things. But, um, a lot of his past is from working on race teams, um, just as, just as race day mechanic. So, so you come out of outliers, your knee is probably a little swollen. And how long did you have between outliers and Japan? You had a few weeks, right? uh outliers i think was the last weekend of august oh yeah last weekend of august i left like september 5th for japan um and i had like a week in japan so probably like two weeks in between two and a half weeks in between roughly were Um, you outliers in the first in the japan race you know just listening to you talk i'm i'm gonna guess I'm pretty sure I know what the answer to this is, but at any point were you thinking that maybe Japan wasn't going to happen? Yeah. So for me, because I've never had any injury and I've never really had too big of injuries. Um, and this was, this was literally two, this was the conversation I had two days before outliers. Um, because I didn't know at this point what was actually wrong with my knee. I just knew it really hurt and it was really swollen and it wasn't good. Um, and I just didn't want to do any further damage. So just talking to talking to the doctors and just kind of coming up with a plan to make sure I was okay to do that. Um, they basically put it on me. Um, by by the time I had finished Outliers, I was super swollen, super sore, but I was able to walk on it. Um, not well, like I I couldn't get my leg to to be fully straight. Um, but again, like you only have these opportunities every now and again to, to go to, go to events like outliers and all my stuff was already booked for Japan. So I was like, whatever, we're just going to go. If it ends up me just going for a ride and enjoying the people and visiting a beautiful country and, and all the people that I met from before, then, then that's what I'll do. And ended up taping it putting it in a brace and everything. If it, it feels better, it feels better on a brace riding than it does walking down the stairs, to be honest. So, <laughs> um, Crazy. It, was, it was kind of a, one of those decisions where you're like, I don't know if there's a perfect answer, but I'm, I'm really glad at the end of the day that, that we went. Sorry, Courtney, did you want to jump in? I was or? just going to ask, what did you end up finding out what happened to your knee or have you had to seek any further recovery options for that? Yeah, so uh, full full ACL tear, partial no. M- <laughs> partial MCL, PCL, LCL, and meniscus. Um, oh, so I've done that, and I feel for you. Yeah, good times, good times. So, and oh, again, I couldn't believe like, and it's and it's hard, right? Because we're we're all racers, and we all talk amongst each other, and no knee injury or no injury in general is ever the same, right? So you're talking to different people and they're like, oh, this worked. Oh, this worked. Oh, you don't need an ACL to ride. Oh, like, you know what I mean? And everyone's pain tolerances are different. And it was hard to get some feedback from some people and trying to explain 
what was going on and how I was feeling. But at the end of the day, I just had to do like what felt good for me. So um, yeah, since then, I've been doing like a, t- a ton of stuff and really just learning a lot about my body and recovery and, and even just like warming up and all those things too. Um, and, and just trying, trying things that work. I mean, we're, we're in a male dominated sport and pretty much everyone I talked to was a man and that has had previous knee injuries and talking to other females, other things work for women that just, just because of our like genetics and the way our bodies are. So still learning, still working on recovering from it. I'm feeling so much better now. Um, I, I, it took me till the first week of January to get a consult with a surgeon, um, because they basically said my only option is surgery. Um, so I had that conversation after talking to the doctor and doing a few things, I've made the decision to push surgery until the fall. So I don't have to write off all this season. Um, and I, and I only did that because of how good I'm, I'm currently feeling. Um, and I'm just taking everything day by day and it seems to be improving a little bit and a little bit. And, um, you always, you always like, you know, when you go to, you know, when you go to the doctor and they're like, okay, you really have to do this and you have to do that. And you have to make sure you're doing all of these things. And you're like, man, this is really overwhelming. And you do it for a week and then you stop. It's yeah. really important to do it every single day. <laughs> and it, and it actually yeah. does make a difference. So I've, I'm feeling really good right now. And I'm actually really looking forward to the season. That's awesome. So with Japan, how did this come about that you started going to, to this race? Uh, long story short, uh, the motorcycle industry is really, really small. Um, yeah. I wrote a article for a magazine back in 2017. Um, and the owner of the magazine had reached out to a, a fellow writer um, that kind of put us in contact and he invited us over to go for an event. And I was like, man, this is the one, one in a lifetime kind of thing to go to Japan. It was never really a place where I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Japan to me in my head. I was like, do they even, can they even ride bikes there? Like, I know they all come from there, but <laughs> where, where are you riding? Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, after the first time there, it, it quickly became my second family. Um, just the people there are so wonderful and basically have invited me back every year since COVID kind of threw a wrench in it for a couple of years. Um, but it was really cool after being able to participate in the first event since COVID because they shut everything down. Everyone was just more excited than um, they were before. And, and and people in Japan love motorcycles and they love having people come to their events. So um yeah it, it's been it's been really really cool um to have them welcome me back and continue to go that's amazing so what's tell us a little bit about the event so um yeah it's, it's two-day enduro so same format as six days the duration yeah. is a little bit shorter i think we did about a hundred and it was 180 kilometers both days which I think six days is longer. I could be wrong. Probably varies. Probably about this close to the same. Hey? Uh, it's like, <clears throat> I never keep track, but it's probably closer to 200 a day. Mm-hmm. Or one a day, yeah. And it's really cool. The, the terrain there is like, the only way I can really explain it is kind of like in the jungle. I posted a photo while I was there and there's I'm holding a leaf and the leaf is nearly the size of what I am. 
Um, so you're riding through like bamboo. It seems like there's just different rules in here. I mean, it's so it seems that riding here has become so strict, but being able to like ride down the middle of a creek and the, the Japanese just put 100% effort into everything that they do. So when even when you pull up to Park Vermeil, like the banners they have are all just like they have rulers and measuring tapes out and every stake is perfectly <laughs> the same height and distance apart. Like it's beautiful to look at. And it just really makes you appreciate how much time and effort they put into it. Um, the club that puts on that event is very tight knit and all really good friends. And they invite us over after the race every year to to have like a barbecue essentially with them. And um, it's just really special to kind of hear how how long they work on it and all the planning and everything that goes into it, which is which is obvious. But it's just the the way everything is set up and how well it's organized is is second to none. No one's getting lost. The the banners are all the same. The markings are all the same. You never have to worry about where you're going. There's like pinpoint locations to all the special tests and you scan a QR code. So, I mean, you're, you're, let me paint a picture. You're in a foreign country where you can hardly read the road signs, let yeah. alone speak the language or anything even close to it. And neither myself or Kale, when he came with me this year, who has never been to Japan before, never had an issue getting anywhere or, or figuring anything out. I mean, I, I couldn't even listen to the riders briefing or the riders meeting before the event because obviously it's not in English and I was still was able to figure it out. So it's just Amazing. really cool to go to an event like that. And what what's it like in the event, like compared to a race here? Um, so this year, like as far as like the racers and stuff go. Yeah. Um, so this year I raced in the international A class, which would be equivalent to the, like, I don't know what that is in six days, but like their pro class, essentially. Um, I just wanted to have a little bit more of a challenge in previous years. I raced in the women's class and then I raced in their like intermediate class. And then this year, um, I wanted to race in the pro class. Gemma Wilson is also, um, a like unbelievable rider. She's from Australia. Um, she actually, last time we raced together was when we went to six days in 2013 and she's, wow. she's got many championships and, and I don't even know how many six days she's participated in, but she's unbelievable. So she was there racing too. And I wanted to race with her. Um, and we had the best time we were on the same minute. So we got to basically spend the entire weekend together, just riding and, and racing together. So it's really cool. The The dynamic is a lot different, too. I love the enduro format because you, you're going all out and you're racing and you're super competitive for these short bursts. But you also have time in between in your transfer sections to really just like enjoy riding and enjoy the scenery and take it all in <laughs> as silly as it sounds. But racing, like I said before, it's more than just taking a piece of plastic home at the end of the day for me anyways. Um, so we are, you stop and you come in early to these checkpoints and I've never seen this anywhere else, but they, you come, you come into a stop point, you're waiting for your minute. And we were really early. Um, it, it, they had a lot of rain leading up to it. So they were riding on the B times, which meant we had a lot of time when we got to these checkpoints, um, because they didn't want anyone to be late. So we'd show up and have lunges ready. And we're sitting in our van and we're filling up our camelbacks and we're hanging out, getting ready for the next section. And 
there's these Japanese people with like trays of food and tea and water and anything you could ever need walking around to every single like pit and vehicle, just making sure everyone had food and everything that they needed. And all the pro racers are under each other's tents sitting there. I have a video and they're all like playing with rocks together. I know that sounds so (laughs) weird, but they were like stacking them on top of each other. It was so weird. I had no idea what was happening, but we were laughing about it. But did you you stack some rocks? No, no, we just laughed at them. (laughs) (laughs) But it's cool to be able to see that they can they can be serious racers and, and they're fighting for seconds at the end of the day but they can also just like stop and have a good time and shoot the shit and share snacks. And that part's, that part's really cool. So, yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And so, I mean, obviously it's travel. I mean, it's probably at least a, I'm trying to remember when I went to Japan and I went to Tokyo, not even Hokkaido. So what is it? Probably like 16 to 20 hours of travel to get there. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, so you finish up, I presumably on a Sunday. Yeah. And then your next race is the following weekend in Ontario, Canada. Yes. So we flew out Monday. I think we, we flew out Monday. We landed Tuesday. No, we flew out. I don't know. However, it works with the time difference. You like gain a day, but lose a day, but it's the same day. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you leave Monday morning and get <laughs> yeah. in Monday afternoon kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, we landed in, we flew directly from Tokyo to, uh, Toronto. Um, my, my boyfriend's family is based on in, in Ontario. So made it really easy. We got picked up from the airport. Um, we had to be in, um, like where the cord was for Thursday. So it was, it was basically pick us up from the airport, go to the farm, load the bikes and, um, get to, get to the cord. Um, I had shipped my bike from Calgary to Toronto or to, to Ontario so that I could ride my own bike and just logistically, um, it just made so much more sense. In previous years, I had had a bike out there and then you spend an entire afternoon changing parts and getting all that stuff ready and nothing ever feels the same so it all worked out good i ended up selling that bike um in toronto or in ontario oh, perfect. Uh, so i didn't even have to ship it back so logistically i had it <laughs> dialed this year <laughs> hopefully we can do it again um but it, it really makes a difference riding your own bike um just what you're used to especially after just like not like just being gone for so long um being able to throw your leg on something that feels like home was one less thing I had to worry about while we were there. And then, so yeah. were you able to get over the jet lag? Yeah. Thank God for coffee. I love coffee. <laughs> <laughs> the first couple of days were a little rough, but, um, yeah, shook it off pretty good. Way to go. So yeah, so race, racing the cord. I mean, for the for those who don't know about the Corduroy Enduro, I don't know which one of you three wants to jump in and talk about this event. I've never actually been to one yet, so um, I wasn't going to go last year, but it didn't work out, obviously. But I'll let you guys take the the lead on that. Lexi, you you you've been more than I have, yeah. Yeah. So cord is. Similar format. It's the only one that I'm aware of anyways in Canada that's actual true enduro format or six days format, um, which was like perfect to go to Japan first 
because it kind of got me ready and in the mindset of having a time card and being on a minute, make sure I'm not early and you have a, a time period for working on your bikes. Um, so there's all these other rules where it's not just like you're showing up to a hair scramble, you're pinning it for two hours and then you're done. You're you're on the bike for six plus hours a day and you're not full out 100% racing that whole time. But um, it's still a long time to be on a bike and be in gear and and trying to trying to stay on the gas um, for, for, for a long period of time. So the the court is always really fun. Um, I I really enjoy it because it's really good for all levels of racers, and they have a couple different routes. So depending on what class you're racing, um, you might be racing on a harder line than the other person on your minute. If that makes sense. Um, yeah, totally. So, you know what your what's your history with the court? I mean, Jared, you were saying that Lexi's been there a little more. I've been there, I think, four or five times now. I think I'm only two. It's really cool. And you know what I love, too, is that there's always, like, this, there's always a trailer of, I mean, you guys, you guys got to drive the trailer this, this year. But yeah, that's bad. I don't have any friends. <laughs> that might be harder than the actual race. I don't know if I could drive across the country. Yeah, uh, I was lonely. But it. <laughs> It's cool to have how many how many people from the West Coast went out there this year? Do you know? Um, in our in our we we crammed seventeen bikes in that trailer. That's but okay. there was more, right? Because you would have you would have been there. Uh, who else was there? Not, I think actually we might have brought pretty much everybody. Everyone out, from Alberta, besides you, Lexi, and some BC people. Because I can't I can't make a decision quick enough. <laughs> I wasn't the same thing. My cord planning, I I pretty much planned to go to the cord like three days before I flew out to Japan, which is why I had to ship my bike. Because I'm like, Jared, do you have room? And he's like, no, I've been full for weeks. But. You know what? I think at one point I had promised you that we would make it work. And then uh, I don't exactly remember how we you, you ended up, but I'm glad we didn't because we, we could hardly fit like an extra... <laughs> Toonie, that's the two dollar <laughs> coin for all the non yeah, yeah, into that trailer. It was sketchy. So, so I guess incredibly, after all this, all this damage to your knee and abusing it at some pretty substantial events, some big travel, you know, you put yourself on top of the box at the corduroy. Ah, uh, yeah, that one felt really good. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> It's just you don't really get a chance to ride with all of the women in Canada or a majority of them, I would say. And yeah. I know we were missing a few this year, but um, it always seems like people are always split between weekends or not always racing the same series or whatever it might be. So it was really cool to kind of get everyone there. And then Rachel Gudish came up from the States. I hadn't yeah. raced with her since we raced in Cross, like more than 10 years ago so it was cool because we always like follow each other and always keep up on what everyone's doing but me not really racing anything down in the states I just never really knew where I was kind of if I'm like way off their pace or if I'm close or you kind of always wonder in a way um yep. and so to be able to race with her and we we both had we both had struggles I mean she was struggling with some clutch stuff the first day and 
Um, I mean, it's, it's racing. We, we were both, I, I couldn't keep it on two wheels for, for some of it too, but, um, to, to be able to race with her and, and not be, not be off the pace. Um, that one, that one felt pretty good for sure. Yeah. I mean, and that is a, it's a major event. Like let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's really cool. It's really well done. The organizers are unbelievable. I mean, there's a reason why it's been around for, I forget what year it was, 70 or something this year. Um, so, so it's really, it's really, really great getting all the manufacturers involved. There's a ton of support behind it. Um, it's, it's an event that everyone I think needs to attend and, and go check out and it's, it keeps evolving too. Right. So now they have, they have a race for kids. They have a race for vintage bikes. They've got e-bike races. So there's something for everyone to do that goes and you just make a whole weekend of it. And it's a ton of fun. Amazing. So, you know, you were saying you sold your bike. I mean, that, that's a hell of a season you had, like going so hard on motocross at the beginning, making the switch to off-road um an enduro especially with the injury i mean when you when you sold the bike were you kind of like was it a sort of sad glad situation no (laughs) (laughs) i I never i never loved selling bikes i know we had such nice weather at home this whole time i just wanted to continue riding i wasn't really like ready to stop and and to add on to my to my adventures of this of this whole trip was i literally flew in from uh toronto to calgary i picked up my van at my mom's house with kale i went straight to wild rose because we had our final surf and berms event kale slept in the van and i rode all all evening at our event and then we went home (laughs) so and then went to work the next day (laughs) amazing so it's, it's all it's all part of it i mean i never i never loved selling bikes at the end of the year because it means i usually have to stop riding for a little period of time or just depends on the year and when that transitional period is but the weather was so nice um we actually did get to get a little bit more riding and i still had my moto bike here um i hadn't sold it yet so uh i wasn't wasn't really ready to be done when we got back (laughs) excellent have you got your uh have you got your bikes for 2024 yet oh yeah we're, we're all ready I, uh, I definitely think I was born in the wrong country. I don't, I don't love the snow. I'm still trying to figure out how I can live in a place where I don't have to own a snow shovel, but we'll, we'll get there one day. But, uh, we put studs on this year and I haven't been out a ton, but, um, now that it seems to be the weather cooperating a little bit more, we'll, we'll get out some for sure. So Jared, you wanted to, uh, to go off on a bit of a different tangent. Yeah. Tangent is a good word. Ranting <laughs> all the way. Uh, no, I just something that came to mind when we were kind of just discussing, you know, what what this evening's program was like was just kind of taking a, a lens of all the different events that you've been to um, in the past and in the just years before and all this stuff. And in in our lens, we're always looking to uh improve our series in in alberta and in canada so you know we have we have big ambitions and and we're not you're not scared to just go for it with the series so we wanted to kind of pick your brain on what sorts of things that you've seen in other countries or other races and and series and promoters and what you think we could bring to uh 
to our nation here in our series that would elevate uh, what we got going on? Totally. Um, I think that's like a really hard question in some ways. Um, and just just coming down to a lot of what is available, right? When you when you're yeah. going to a lot of these races in in internationally or or wherever it might be, usually there's lots of funding that goes behind that. So your one your expectations can are a little bit higher, but there's also the like what is needed is there because they have that additional funding to make it happen. And right. there's a lot of clubs and organizations and races that I've been to let's say locally that just don't have those means. And I don't think uh, sponsors or maybe even organizers that haven't raced internationally realize how important some of those things are. So um, mm. just like maybe for example, like flagging, right? Um, I feel like that's always one that everyone gets always fired up about, but when you're putting that much effort into, into racing, into the money, into your bike, money, into your travel, like all those things, so many of these racers are working nine to five and whatever. Everyone's got different, different backgrounds. And that's kind of not really my point. But when you go to a race, you want to go and you want to finish and you want to put everything on the line and not have to worry about, hey, I got lost because of X, Y, Z. So having really good, really good flagging, I think makes a big difference. But flagging right. is goddamn expensive. So yeah. some clubs or, or whatever it might be might not have the means to have good flagging or whatever that might be. But for example, your guys' race for the SOAR Enduros have been unbelievable, right? Like we're so spoiled where the entire track is literally flagged. So you know what direction it's going to be one color on one side and one on the other. And you know that when which one's right and which one's left so you can plan when you're coming through a corner if it's going to be left or right if you're if it's your first time through it or you know you're not going to blow through a ribbon or miss an arrow or whatever that might be so i think flagging is a really big one but a big cost comes to that um yeah. i think racers want to know what's happening and so do the people that are following them whether it be their team or their friends at home or whoever it is. Um, but on in race day as a racer, I think it's really important for your team and for yourself to know um, having live results. If you, you shouldn't have to wait, like, and this is depending on the discipline, but you shouldn't have to wait hours or days or a week after to get the results on what's going on. Um, right. So to have that stuff, I mean, at the cord, we were able to log into live laps. Everything was transponder. Um, Kale was watching where I was on his phone. He knew where I was all the day. And, and I say this like there's always instances where technology doesn't work. It's just the nature of the beast. But for yeah. the most part, you can get yourself a general idea of where you are. Totally. Um, and again, like logistics come into that, too. Sometimes you're not in an area where uh their service to make that happen so i mean i'm not a techie guy i don't know how all that stuff works but um that stuff makes a really big difference um and just i think too just having people that are super passionate and love what they do is so great and we have such a tight-knit group in alberta specifically um of people that are just volunteering their time but a lot of people work really hard during the week and at the end of the week, they're going to the races because that's what they love to do. And that's their free time and they don't want to work anymore. 
So I think there's a lot of positions that should be paid, that aren't paid, that need to be paid so that one, you can hold people to a little bit of a higher expectation, but two, also just make sure that it's getting done well. But like I said before, obviously those things come with a cost, but having someone to kind of be the chief and point people in the right direction and deal with issues as they come. There's a lot of moving parts to putting on an event. And sometimes as a racer, if you've never volunteered or you're looking from the outside, it's really easy to just kind of be, ah, this didn't happen. This didn't happen. And you you always get a few in the bunch. Um, But until you volunteer, you never really understand what that, what that looks like. Um, And I think people would, you would, you would get more, I feel like we're always struggling to find volunteers, but man, just figure it out and <laughs> get those people paid because they're putting in so much time and effort into it. And they, they so deserve to be there. And those, those events wouldn't happen without them. Um, having that good core group of people to, to put on an event is, is crucial. For sure. Yeah. I, we, I think we totally agree. So that, that's, that's great. I appreciate that uh, insight because um, those are all, things that yeah we, we want to focus on so that's good i appreciate that and and do you think uh as far as like developing ridership in our area for like an isde program or just in general international showings for athletes do you think it's tied to uh the same sort of issues as far as funding and whatnot or you know is it series is it you know where we have the race is it all kind of the same things or I think in a lot of ways, I think in a lot of ways, yes. Um, Like, I think it would be really cool for us to have like an ISD qualifier or something like that um, to, to be here. And I think too, I don't know, everyone's got different opinions, but I think having the problem with Alberta is we're so small and there's only so many weekends in a year, however many race series there are and trying to fight over weekends. I think trying to have something where you can have one really solid series of some kind of degree, I don't know how it would work out or what, because there are different disciplines and I understand that, but people need to understand that racing with faster people makes you faster. And if you're, everyone is spread across and you're showing up to a race and there's only three people in a class, I mean, those racers are never going to advance either. Um, right. So I like, I would love to see something where we can really get, like how come when outliers comes here, there's hundreds and hundreds of racers. And then for a local race, there's a handful. So what's the difference between those two events? I mean, yes, to terrain and and getting to ride. And I mean, you put Red Bull's name behind everything. Yes. Yeah. I was going to say branding's big, (laughs) but what I mean is free energy drinks. If that's what it takes. All right. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) But I just really love to see, more racers get out to one series and have one really strong series where there's powers and numbers, right? Everyone bitches about not having enough like prize money or whatever that is. Well, you're not going to get like money from sponsors if there's only a handful of people showing up to an event. Um, Which is why when you look at like Red Bull Outliers, they're getting hundreds of riders there. The funding comes with it. Because I said on both sides, right? Working in a dealer, we have people that come in all the time looking for sponsorship and those kinds of things. As as a dealer, as a as a as a motorcycle dealer, we want to be able to get our name out and for lots of people to see it. And if we can get our logos in front of more places, then there's more value there. Except yeah. that the ball just keeps rolling. Um, 
episode goes on a little bit beyond that, but there's so many, there's so many levels to it. It's kind of a lot to get into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I think we could probably maybe we should have a round table separate from this episode on you know sponsorship and you know athlete responsibilities but also dealership responsibilities and what what they want to see. It would be actually a really interesting round table on Yeah. because you and I both work at dealerships and we'd see the we see that side of things but we're both also racers who see both sides. So there's probably something we could we could come up with that's uh, helpful to the to the world of Alberta. I honestly yeah, think that's such a good idea. Like just and, and just the way like the world is changing so much too, and and um, I th- I think that's a great idea. We should definitely loop back on this. <laughs> well, something like that, and like yeah, combining like an athlete development. Like, how do you go as a kid who's you know we've got so many fast kids in Alberta and Canada and North America? How do you turn those kids into the next? generation of successful international racers like what is that athlete development model and yeah career progression look like in terms of like that round table and industry versus promoters versus athletes and parents absolutely yeah. anyway and then That's we can have i i still have the dream of a north american enduro series that, is that would be cool. right too. and you gotta dream big we can make the, we can make it happen <laughs> I'm crossing all my fingers. I think I can. I love it. <laughs> um, cool. Lexi, any advice you would give speaking of that kind of stuff, just really quickly, you know, and just in the knowledge, we do have so many fast kids coming out, you know, like I said, Alberta, Canada, North America, you know, what, what advice would you give to the kids coming out today and looking at, you know, off-road versus, or sorry, enduro style versus motocross racing, things like that um like as far as racing goes yeah how how would you what advice would you give to somebody who wants to progress into a career maybe into the pro ranks um have fun if you're not having fun you're doing it wrong and if you're not having fun you're not going to stay in the sport that's just my opinion of it um i think try ride your bike ride your bike as much as you can all the time um try different things don't be afraid to push yourself and get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Um, obviously, some of that comes from my background of just trying lots of different things, like I had mentioned before. Um, but I, I really do think it's important to just be the yes man in a lot of ways. Say yes to going on another adventure and riding in a different place that you've never been before. Um, because when you go to an international event, like a six days, and you come across something, you can be like, hey, I know it's similar to the XYZ experience. Um, but at the end of the day, um, take in all the little things along the way. Um, I haven't made a career. Well, I've, career is a loose term in my life because I still work a full-time job and no one's paying me to ride bikes. Um, but I, I get to go to a lot of races and have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and it's a lot about just the people that I get to enjoy it with and the people that I get to meet along the way. So. For me, it's a little bit different. Um, I'm definitely not the person to ask on how to go make a salary and do all of those things. But um, I do love bikes. I do love the people that come with riding bikes and going on adventures. Amazing. Uh, Lexi, where can people uh, find you and follow you on the socials and that kind of thing? Jeez, I'm not very good at those things. (laughs) 
you can follow me on Instagram, Lexi Pichot, L-E-X-I-P-E-C-H-O-U-T. Um, you can listen to our podcast where we have lots of fun and laugh a lot. <laughs> Bikes, burns, and brews. <laughs> uh, where we get your podcast from. And uh, you can find me at my 9 to 5 at BFD Moto. Uh, if you need parts or bikes, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> BFD Moto in Calgary, Alberta. And last um, I KTM, call me. Don't call XM. <laughs> <laughs> for, for all your Husqvarna and gas gas. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else we're goes friends, to Jared. Right? No. <laughs> yeah. You know. Friends or competitors. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Amazing. Lexi Pichot, thank you so much. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and it's great to finally get you uh, get you behind the mic. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Right on. Hey, thanks, thanks and uh, thank we, we'll be in touch. All right.